Welcome to Glitch Cube, we're a gaming podcast, and each week we take a deeper look into the art of video games. I'm Christian. I'm Chris. And welcome back, and thank you guys for joining us for another fun-filled week as we continue our adventures through the dark ages of video games. We are concluding this little mini-series with a pretty big one. It's, we're going to be talking about the company Sega and some of their you know, less than fortunate consoles that they came out with. Um, but there's a lot to touch on there. But before we jump into the topic at hand, I do want to put out a little disclaimer. I am sorry. I'm sick right now. And I have uh, my little concoction of, uh, you know, cold medicine tea and bang energy drink. So I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm ready, but my heart might explode. But that's fine. So, <laughs> just so we can get this stuff out for you guys. Oh, sacrifices. (laughs) (laughs) Sega is a beast. Like, everyone knows Sega, right? But it's, like, there's such, like, a weird, it's kind of like a weird, like like, a curtain over it, right? Where it feels like it was something from the past that we should remember. It's, like, almost on the same level of, like, Atari for me, right? Where it's like, mm-hmm. it's a company that's there, but it's like, eh, it's, it's, you know, Sonic, Rad, cool. But at this time, um, during like the 90s, right, they, they actually were one of the top consoles during that time. Like they were in almost every home. Their advertisements were kind of buck wild. Um, it, the, the 90s were a really interesting time when it came to advertisements. And I really want to touch on this because we don't see this kind of stuff anymore where it's almost like a political propaganda like against the competition right where like they they're just so aggressive towards the people that they're they're uh going up against and in particular mm-hmm. it was Nintendo that they were attacking with all their advertisements so it's just kind of funny it's like they were talking uh, one of them i think what was it it was they were talking about oh like this system doesn't do this but Sega does right like and like every two seconds, it was like Sega does, Sega does, <laughs> right? Like it's like okay, we get it. <laughs> like you think you're better than everybody. It's fine. <laughs> Sega does when the ten don't. Yeah, and then like they had some really weird slogans, but that was one of them that I thought was pretty funny. So, what's your overall experience with Sega? Like with the consoles, the games? Are you a fan? Are you not? How do you feel? What's your meter on this? Uh, I've always loved Sega. I feel like for me, it's more so like their franchises more than their hardware. Uh, like for me, I didn't get a Genesis till basically the end of its life. And then um, my biggest thing was the Dreamcast. I mean, I loved it to bits. And I mean, being on the internet with it was cool and different. And I mean, once they started shifting towards software, like I liked a lot of their franchise, you know, like the Yakuza games and stuff. Like it, it showed that they were still a powerful software company mm-hmm. instead of focusing on their hardware. Uh, I mean, it is kind of a bummer that their big arcade in Japan closed. Oh yeah, but I mean, it's just a sign of the times, you know, like. Sega will never make hardware again, but if they can keep their franchises strong and start something new, I mean, they're always going to be around. Yeah. You know, because it it feels like Nintendo has kind of adopted them at this point. Yeah. Which is funny for how much 
like how much they bashed each other in the past. Now they're like, okay, it's cool. Like Nintendo was like, you know, <laughs> like the <laughs> it's like the kid who yells at his mom. Nintendo's like, it's all right, honey. I know you didn't mean it. Come on home, right? Like, right. <laughs> it's like you can cry on the shoulder. Don't worry, but I'm taking half your profits, right? Like. <laughs> Like, it's such a bizarre situation with how aggressive Sega was of just calling people out. And it's so interesting to me that to see that in actually multiple of these like failed quote unquote consoles and games, like uh, we saw that kind of animosity as well in Daikatana, right? Like for its Mm -hmm. software, there's that divide there. But at the same time, they were still like, hey, is it still cool if we if we use your software? Right. Like, I mean, you're a dick, but can I still use your stuff? I know you hate me, but right. Like, so it's, I mean, obviously money talks. So it, it's pretty evident with like these kind of consoles here now. So it's well, I funny. think too, is that after, you know, once Sony got into the ring, Sega realized that they were the real enemy and not really Nintendo anymore. Cause I think the GameCube was, the first time like Sega put their stuff on a Nintendo console. Cause I remember super monkey ball was Sega. Yeah. It was know, the first Sonic Skies game. Arcadia was on and yeah, Sonic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel like that's when they were like, okay, like we understand, like we played around, like we were the two big boys in the beginning, but now we got to stand up to our rivals, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because so, you don't see Sega on PlayStation stuff at all. You'll see Sega on like Xbox and mm-hmm. Nintendo. I mean, you do see it now on the PlayStation. Back then, you didn't see anything. No, it took a quite a while for them to kind of patch that up. But it it's kind of evident with some of the issues that were coming up um, during development of these systems, right? Like certain mm-hmm. companies stopped working with Sega. Um, one of the big ones was um, uh, SquareSoft, of course. They're like no more, but that I think was that was later. That wasn't during Saturn time, but they were already like kind of starting to burn bridges. And I think that kind of all ties into the fact of improper, like poor management, right? Um, and like a, not a clear message across the board. So for those of you who don't know, Sega isn't just one company. There's Sega of Japan and Sega of America. And they had very different tactics when it came to advertisement, what kind of games came out, things like that, right? Um, the aggressive advertisement, of course, was America. Go figure. Who would have thought that, right? <laughs> like, you think Japan's really going to go and bash people like that? No, that's not going to happen. So the the CEO at the time of uh, Sega of America was Tom Kalinske. And he was really trying to push the boundaries. He saw the success of the Genesis and he was trying to make or keep, you know, keep that fire going. He wanted Sega to continue to thrive in the home console business. Um, so he kept going to Sega of Japan with ideas and they just kept saying no. Uh, there's actually a rumor that Sega of Japan was not a fan of Sonic's success because that was actually a Sega of America creation. And that's kind of what propelled the Genesis forward. But Japan, in Japan, Sonic's not as big. So they, uh, Sega of Japan, who's like the main company, saw it more of like kind of a gimmick and not something they wanted to put all of their chips behind. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So one of the big, so there's two things that kind of 
led to the overall failure, I would say, of the Sega Saturn. And it has to deal with Kalinsky going to Japan and saying, hey, I got this really cool idea. Maybe we should try this out. And then it falling through and it kind of stemming something completely different. And I thought this was pretty amazing because the decisions that were made during the time of uh, the production of the Saturn actually helped develop their competition to what they are now. It helped elevate them to the level that they are to actually bury Sega, which is kind of nuts to think about. So the first person, or the, one of the first incidents that came up was uh, Kalinsky was approached by a company called Silicon Knights. Um, they were a chip software company. And they said that they had a really uh, new cool chip for 3D development. Now, during this time, 3D was kind of the new thing. Sega wasn't really trying to put all of, you know, like all of its eggs in the 3D basket because it wasn't sure if it was going to go anywhere. Uh, they were still trying to just bring the arcade home, right? So Kalinsky went to Sega of Japan with this idea and Sega of Japan immediately was like, no, 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 this isn't for us. So Kalinsky did something really interesting and I'm surprised that he continued to have a job after this. Because he went to Silicon Knights and said, hey, sorry, you know, my bosses in Japan said they don't want to meet, they don't want your software, right, or your hardware. Um, why don't you go to my buddies over at Nintendo and see if they're into it? Like, what? Like, this is already your competition oh. for so long, and you're saying, like, hey, this new 3D chip, obviously I want it, my boss doesn't want it, but why don't you go to my competition? Like, that's a direct slap in the face to the Sega of Japan, right? There's nothing else that can be about that. So, Oh, yeah. So this, oh, damn. this chip, the, this chip became infamous. Infamous. This is the SGIRCP. And for those of you who don't know what that chip is, that is actually the chip that helped develop the 3D software for the N64. So can you imagine that Sega had their hands on this chip before Nintendo did, and they could have developed some amazing stuff like Virtual Fighter. Remember, like having that with the graphics that were instilled with, like you know, the Mario World and all that, right? Like, mm -hmm. then that would have really skyrocketed Sega's success. But unfortunately, Japan wanted nothing to do with it and just kind of tossed it out and ended up sending it to their competitors. Which I just still can't believe that that happened. That doesn't make any sense to me. It's like some fucking um, like espionage crap, right? Like you're meeting up with a guy. He's like, oh, are you Foxtrot, right? Like you have your, <laughs> you're meeting up at the park with a suitcase and be like, hey, and when they open it up, it's the SGI chip. And they're like, you're going to need this. <laughs> like, you're welcome. Remember me, Mr. Kalinsky. <laughs> so, but it's, it's just kind of crazy. And that's, I would say that's the first step or the first folly in the overall demise of sega as a whole which is just nuts now i didn't know about that yeah that's actually really interesting yeah like how nuts is that so as of right now you have the sega genesis doing very well right there's a lot of buzz about the sega saturn people are excited for it and 3d is right around the corner right everyone's kind of kind of chomping at the bits at it they're curious of where it's going to go but no one is really jumping at it yet no one's really going there right but now you're you basically just deliver the way to accomplish this goal to your competition. So it's just it's insane. Now, 
this is not the only time that Sega has helped out their competition. So Sega also had um, some meetings with Sony. And Sony at the time wasn't making systems. They were just a hardware company. They were trying to pair up with uh, different game makers and just, you know, develop stuff for them. And one of the big things that Sony was trying to do was push DVDs and make things kind of more of like an entertainment system rather than just a gaming console, right? And Mm -hmm. go to the disk drive system, which, as we know now, is where everything ended up. But during that time there was actually a lot of backlash towards the disk system. A lot of people didn't think that it would work, that it would be too difficult to develop for. It's not going to go anywhere. Cartridges are just going to continue living on, which I guess you could say they still do when you look at Nintendo games. But as you can tell, the disk system does work as well. So there's that. So Sega is teaming up with uh, Sony for quite a while. They're working back and forth and talking about developing some really interesting consoles for the future, maybe even developing for the Saturn to, you know, boost everything, the 3D graphics, all that fun stuff, right? Then out of nowhere, apparently, Sony decides, we're done. Like, we, we're, we want out. And it kind of became Sony of Japan's problem again. They apparently, in boardroom meetings, they kept questioning the seriousness of Sony when it came to developing for Sega. They just kept, you know, bashing them and just kind of berating them with all these awkward questions. And it just became more of an issue for Sony. And I guess after a while, they just said, we have enough or we had enough, right? There are some rumors, apparently, that Sony was just infiltrating Sega to figure out how to make consoles because shortly after they broke ties with Sega. They announced, guess what? Sony's going into the console game. Or the, yeah, we're going in the console game and we're going to be making the PlayStation 1. So Sega basically showed them all their ins and outs on how they make consoles, how they do R&D, everything. They gave them access to all that because they were helping them develop their consoles at the time. And PlayStation took that, or Sony took that and ran with it and made... The PlayStation, which is obviously another Sega Saturn killer. <laughs> like so what's weird too is that I remember Sony was working on a console with Nintendo, that Nintendo PlayStation that they were gonna build. Yeah. And it's like Sony really kinda dabbled in both, you know? It's like they really did want to learn how to how to make a console from both of these giants. And I feel like maybe that is why the PlayStation was that middle ground between that generation. Yeah. You know, I feel like that's why it's such a success because they took the ideas from these two juggernauts in gaming, right? Like who's Mm -hmm. bigger than Sega and Nintendo at that time. And they kind of took all the ideas that they were curious about, but not, they were too afraid to jump in and start messing with. And they just put it in their console and it worked. So, Now, let's fast forward a little bit. So the Sega Saturn is actually going to be announced at E3. Everyone's kind of excited for this. There's a lot of buzz, right? So in 1995, Tom Kalinske takes the stage at E3 to announce the Sega Saturn. And (laughs) this is kind of crazy. So this this press conference apparently was one of the most ridiculous ones, but it led to an even more ridiculous press conference if that's even possible. But okay, so Tom Clancy took the stage and when he got up there, he announced that the Sega Saturn is not coming, 
it's here. You can now go outside and go buy it from select retailers. Now remember that. Remember that little star there, select retailers. So they, they that, like no console does this. Like instead of saying like, oh, it's going to be out March 1996, you know, they said, no, it's available right now. Go out and get it and you can get it for $3.99, which is kind of expensive for a system, mm-hmm. especially during that time and for what it was capable of doing. Right. We'll go into a little bit of some of the issues with some of the games later and how they kind of resolved it. But so Tom Colency goes up there and apparently he didn't want to do this press conference. He hated this idea. But it was pushed upon him to, you know, to give the message to the people. And remember whenever I said select retailers? So they picked which companies were going to have early access to the Sega Saturn. And as you can imagine, in a capitalist world, some companies were pretty upset that they got left out of that loop. And they actually, some of them even said that they will not carry the Sega Saturn in their store because they felt like Sega didn't appreciate their business that they were giving them all these years, which is kind of crazy, right? Like, yeah, like, so there's all kinds of issues. So, all right, let's, let's run down the list so far, right? We have Kalinsky delivering the SGI chip to the Nintendo for the N64. And then we have um, Sega breaking ties with Sony, which then led to their biggest competition, the PlayStation 1. And now during release date, which they released early out of fear of the release of the PlayStation, which is coming out in 1996, <laughs> they, that's why they released early. They, they really burned a lot of bridges with all these other big box retailers that they didn't give early access to. So huge issues all the way across the board. Now, and oh, go ahead. something real quick, yeah. too, is that right before the Saturn, you have to remember, like, they were doing so many things for the Genesis still. Oh, yeah. Like, they released the the Nomad, which is the portable Genesis, which is cool. But, I mean, why? Yeah. And then they already had the Sega CD. So they already had CD based games like Mm -hmm. they they had just released it and then i think i want to say it was maybe a year before the saturn or less than that the 32x came out Yep, and which there was two other consoles in development as well that were so they're just trying to pump out console after console after console which is just it's not a formula that works because and go ahead they like like you look at the 32x especially it kind of failed Mm -hmm. like compared to the sega cd expansion which people bought which was also really expensive the the 32x was i think 140 or something it was over 100 bucks that's insane and there weren't that many games released for it and they didn't run all that great either you know it's and they tried to make it where the 32x would expand the cd so there'd be games specially released just for having both those extensions and it's like you know they were trying all this hardware when either they could have just fine-tuned those or not even did those at all and just done the saturn earlier you know and that's i think what really also led to that slow momentum of the saturn because you have to think all these stores who are carrying a 32x they're not selling it. So they're already kind of like looking at Sega like, 
this isn't great. Like, yeah. we're not making a lot of money, and now you guys are dropping another console, which not a lot of us can buy. It's mm-hmm. they were really digging themselves deeper and deeper. Sega was all about trying to be innovative. I mean, they were gonna release internet for the genesis back in the day right and i mean it never really came over here but they had that they had 3d glasses they were really like pushing 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 but they were losing so much money in the process they were hemorrhaging money at an alarming rate and they were just spreading themselves out so thin like paper thin across the board and then you add on the disputes and the poor communication between Sega of America and Sega of Japan, who are also developing their own separate things, right? Like, it's just, it's too much. And it's so confusing to the consumer of, okay, you just came out with this. I just heard in a press conference that you have something else already in the works. Why would I buy this? But then wait, what's this other system that's apparently only out in Japan? What it, you, right? Like, which one is the new one? Which one do you buy? Which one do you care? Like, and... I think it would be especially confusing for someone like some of these mom and pop shops. Like, yeah. how are they supposed to keep up with this stuff when you had like if you had Nintendo? Boom. NES. Done. Cool. I'm going to make money. We're good. Right. And that's what they did with the the Genesis for a while. But then they got I, I don't know if it's greedy or over ambitious. And I guess those two kind of go hand in hand. But it's it's kind of unfortunate because they had so many interesting ideas. And a lot of the reviews of this stuff are it's before it's time. And after doing a lot of the research on these like failed games and consoles, that that line is such a bullshit line to me now. Like the before (laughs) it's time. I'm so overhearing it because it just means that, oh, we didn't really know what we were looking at. It's a reviewer's way of saying like. I take back what I said. I'm not a dick. You can can you please keep hiring me and read my reviews? Right? Like Ooh. like that's that's my take on it. Because so many people like bash the hell out of these games and consoles and then you see like 2 years later it's like, "Oh, this game does exactly the same thing and it's good." But you said that one's like, "Oh, that one was just before its time. We didn't know what we had on our hands." It's like, "Wait, no, you're just backtracking, piece of crap." <laughs> yeah. So that's that's my hot take. That's Christian's hot takes right here. And it could be the cold medicine and energy drinks mixing right now at a very alarming rate. But there we go. You have to do it more often. Yeah, right. We might have to do another conspiracy theory one where I'm just more spicy. <laughs> where I'm just all hopped up on cold medicine and fucking energy drinks. That'd be great. Oh, that'd be fun. We can both do it together. I like it. Let's do it. Man, crazy. You know, I just you you brought something up and I was thinking, you know, with all of these Sega stuff being out there. What if they were trying to think, or they were thinking that, what if game stores or Toys R Us were just walled with her product, right? Like, you know, you would have your Genesis here, you would have, which also incorporate the CD and 32X, then you would have the Saturn here, and then you have Game Gear here. Like, it kind of reminds me of Nintendo during, like, the Wii era where it's like, you know, you still had GameCube games on the wall. You had Wii, you had DS, you had Game Boy Advance. Like, I felt like they were trying to just take over a whole wall at a storefront. Yeah. Which you know, I, I totally but, agree with that. That's exactly what I, I was thinking, too. But the the main issue is instead of filling it with consoles, like a shit ton of different iterations of like the same thing, basically, 
why not just put one solid console, a bunch of games, and then yeah. just develop some really fun accessories for that game system? Right. Like if you like look at the Xbox, whenever like the the Wi-Fi dongle that came off on the great uh, right? like you can you can oh, have. God. But like this is what this is the point. Like it wasn't a great thing. Right. But you can have your system. Right. Like, so they said that they were uh, thinking about putting the Internet functionality on the Saturn right, originally. Um, but that wasn't. Well, they did. Oh, that's right. They did later, later on. on. But like adding that stuff later is more interesting, right? Get people established in the console, get them comfortable with it, have some good games, get them continuing to buy it, and then release more features to them later. It's like a really good developed MMO. You have so many rad features hidden behind the hood, but you you want to slowly like drip feed that to the player in order to keep them interested. If you jump into like mm-hmm. Final Fantasy fourteen, let's say, which I just started playing, um, and the the first yeah. couple hours I played it, I just was like, oh my god, information overload. And then I actually deleted my character completely, restarted, and did things a little slower. And I, I forced myself to do the drip feed method, and I'm actually really enjoying it now. And I, I think that's a really good business model for any of these consoles or games. And it makes sense why we have, you know, DLC and all that stuff. You you give them a solid a solid product that they enjoy why wouldn't they want more for that project product that they already enjoy right like it just makes sense to do this so from a business standpoint of course like everyone hates dlc and like oh i gotta pay more and more money for this crap but guess what you do it and you vote with your money so obviously it's working and you're enjoying it so who's to blame who's gonna be right like so Mm -hmm. i mean they had you know, quote, DLC back before the internet stuff where, you know, it would be like, oh, here's an expansion disc or stuff like Mm -hmm. that. You know, you look at Halo and they had like map packs you could buy on disc. It's like... Or or Doom with the levels that you type out. Like, that's... Yeah, that's old DLC right there. So let's hop back into the Saturn because I want to go back to that press conference where there's a lot Mm -hmm. of issues with it. And... So already this press conference is kind of bananas. It's like, okay, nobody ever does this. This isn't really like the, it was just confusing. And remember, the cost for this the system is three ninety nine. So the following day, guess who jumps up on the press conference board? It's going to be mm-hmm. Sony. Sony goes up there, and they say almost nothing. Their slides have almost nothing on them. There's one thing that they present. the The owner walks out. He says $299, and then a big $299 sign pops up on the PowerPoint, and he walks off the stage. That's it. That's the whole press conference for Sony. So, like, what kind of a, like, mic drop moment is that? It's like, okay, cool. Good job, Sega. You decided to release something maybe six, seven months before our system goes out because you were afraid of us. Well, guess what? Be very afraid now because we have a better system for a hundred dollars cheaper so like what a crazy thing to do and it, it just shows like how much animosity and just weird tactics that they used to do back in the day and it just wasn't very like pc right like there was people were mm-hmm. more into like the anger part of it like the like the rivalry they want to see that between these consoles and i think that's where this whole idea of the console wars really stems from where we don't see it as much now like there's not right like it's yeah, sure, you can be team this, this, and that. But I think back then, that's whenever like real console wars were going on, 
where they're actually like bashing other systems and saying, this one sucks, buy ours, be extreme. Or even uh, there was a commercial, I think it was for the Saturn, where they just had a bodybuilder flexing with the, the console. And that was it. He's just on the stage. It has it in his hands. He's just flexing. It's just like, yeah, you want to be a man? Want to be a real man? Want to be real big? Want to be real big? Buy a Sega Saturn. <laughs> like, just how <laughs> dumb is this? So, yeah, you don't you don't see that nowadays, you know? Like, it's mostly just the fanboys that get aggressive. Yeah. Like, I mean, Xbox, they praise other consoles. Like, even on Twitter, like, they'll congratulate PlayStation or Nintendo. And, I mean, PlayStation, like, Sony, I feel like, still kind of has that, like, not as friendly to the other two. But they're not aggressive. But... Yeah, and it's like, you look at it and it's like, Xbox is in such a spot where they're like, oh, let's just kind of learn from each other and give more to the player. And Sony's like, we're just going to focus on compelling stories and try to sell it, you know? And it's like, it's such, it's so different from the console wars before where it was very aggressive. Now it's like, eh, our product sells, we're going to do fine. Yeah, exactly. So let's talk about one glaring hole in the Sega Saturn, one bright blue hole that's missing from this whole thing. Where is Sonic? There is no, so- yeah, there is no is Sonic game on the Sega Saturn. That is their mascot, right? Like it would make sense that there would be a Sonic game developed. And during this time, mascots in gaming consoles were such a huge thing. It almost felt like it was necessary. You had Crash Bandicoot, you had Sonic, you had Mario. It was kind of like a given that every console comes out with a version of your mascot game right like it's it has to so once mm-hmm. again this stems the issue between sega of japan and sega of america where sega of america was the ones who developed the act developed sonic and created it and put it out there for everybody to enjoy and they fell in love with it but sega of japan who was kind of bankrolling everything ended up not enjoying Sonic as much and left him out completely. So another issue that I um, that came up with these games was when they first came out, they didn't really meet the standards that were expected. The 3D wasn't as good. Like Virtual Fighter was decent, but it wasn't that great. It wasn't as like big of a jump as what people were making it out to be, as Sega wanted people to believe, right? And Mm -hmm. what I found really interesting that they did is they did the same thing that, you know, games like No Man's Sky did and all that, where, oh, sorry, you didn't like that version of Virtual Fighter. It's okay. Here's Virtual Fighter Remix. Now it's the better one, the one you expected. Right. They did it with like a Daytona USA as well, which was one of their staple titles at the time. When it came out, it was not good. Like the visuals were really bad. And they eventually did a remix version of it which was what people expected but a little too late right you give them what they want from the beginning you don't give it to them after make them buy it spend their money get burned on it and then say hey our bad here's the real version you'll love this one trust us it's like no that trust is gone it's bad bad for business bad sega (laughs) yeah sega i feel like you know and it's their their console was so weird. Like I have one, I just never really use it because there's nothing on it right now that I would want. I mean, there's stuff I want to play, but they're all too expensive. Yeah. But 
I feel like with the Saturn, it's interesting because there's like a battery in the back that you have to change out. It's like one of those watch batteries. Oh, I didn't know that. And that's actually what saves like some of the data. And if that battery goes bad, then it's oh, that's gone. That's horrible. That's a horrible design. Um, and another thing too is it's kind of like the N64 with the RAM card. You know, you can buy a RAM card that you plug into the top. And it actually runs things a little bit better, like Street Fighter and stuff like that. And like I have an action replay, which is also another addition to it, but it lets you play, I think, like region lock games. So you can play imports a little bit easier. And their internet, like there was internet on the Saturn. But if I recall, there was only really three games that used it. Yeah. So it was kind of like a wasted and feature. And in that time, you know? internet didn't like sprout as far as they expected it to. Um, and I think that's something that we'll also touch on in our next console as well. Um, that Sega really wanted to push this idea of internet play, but it just never really hit the mark for them. Um, you would almost say that it was they were a little bit before their time, right? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Sweet title it. And, <laughs> you know, thinking what you were saying earlier, too, is that, you know, on paper, the Saturn is powerful. Like it you look at the specs and I mean, it's got more CPU power and it should have been a success. I mean, it, it has should have been an overwhelming success. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, they're one of their biggest problems. It was just hard to make games for. And I think. Especially when you compare PlayStation games to the Saturn, like the same game, you really can't see the difference. You know, the PlayStation had the strength in, I think, transparencies and like fog and stuff, whereas the Saturn had like, I want to say strength and like parallax. So it was like certain games did look better on the Saturn but a majority of them ran better on the PlayStation, mm -hmm. even though the Saturn had better specs. Well, what's interesting about those specs is this is, again, Sega being very reactionary. Um, they they found the specs out for the PlayStation before they released the Sega, and they actually added a second processor into the Sega so and to boost the power behind it, to make it stronger, right? So the Saturn got that, and then it made it that much harder to develop for because now... People who have been developing games for it with the single processor now have to take into account the second one, and it just changed everything up. So it's basically like telling everyone who's been developing games for you to start from scratch. And they made that decision pretty late in the game. And I think that's where we see the issues between like Virtual Fighter and Daytona, which are supposed to be their big games for release, that they kind of fell flat a little bit. You find yourself staring down the mouth of a dark cave, hearing the low rumble of something large inside. This is it. Everything you have been fighting for lies just within this cave. <laughs> hey man, what's the matter? This is your big ending fight scene. Yeah, sorry about that. I've just been so tired today. Feels like I've been hit with like two points of exhaustion. Ugh. You know what? I have just this thing to get you back into the adventuring spirit. Really? Of course. I have a delicious roast from Geek Grind Coffee. Huh. That sounds pretty cool. What kind of brews do they have? 
They have blends like Dragon's Roast, Dwarven Dawn, Wizard's Mist, and so much more. They have even one celebrating Jim Hansen's The Labyrinth, The Goblin King's Elixir. Whoa, those sound awesome. I'm waking up just hearing about them. Is there an easy way for me to pick up some? I got you. For the fans of our show, if you visit geekgrindcoffee.com right now and enter the promo code GLITCH at the checkout, you will get 20% off your order. Whoa, that's great. So you're saying if I go to geekgrindcoffee.com right now and enter the promo code GLITCH at checkout, I'll get 20% off my order? That's amazing. That's right, yo. (laughs) All right, I'm ready for this adventure. Bring it on. Hey, that's a natural 20. Just like the discount you can get when entering the promo code GLITCH at geekgrindcoffee.com. Level up your morning with Geek Grind Coffee. All right, so I think it's time for us to jump forward a little bit to a system that I it's hard to call this one a failure. I mean, it's easy to see that it did fail, that it didn't do great, but the amount of power, the amount of innovation put into this little tiny gray box was pretty baffling for its time. And that, of course, is going to be the Sega Dreamcast which is unfortunately the last console that is developed by Sega. And it's it's rough going. It's rough going from the very beginning and all that is due to the poor ish or the poor decisions that were made during the development of the Saturn um like them just, you know, going against a lot of these companies that they were working with, that they had long-term agreements with and it just created a lot of issues for the overall development of the Dreamcast. So I I never owned one. I've played it a lot, and I really did enjoy the Dreamcast. I thought it was really fun. What's your take on it? I know you were a fan of the Dreamcast. I loved it. I mean, I got it. I didn't get it on release day, you know, the 999, whatever. But I I got it, I think, that Christmas. And to me, it was just mind-blowing you know as someone who was a loyal like playstation one fan and then you jump into the dreamcast it has that vmu memory card which you know it's basically the pocket station but over here in america Mm -hmm. you know you get your little screen you can interact with games like it was freaking cool and you know you had your clock and there was just the the beginning, like the browser that you had on there was just clean, that startup sound. Like it's, it felt so fresh and I felt like the games just felt fluid. It's kind of weird to say, I don't know, to me, like the graphics felt kind of before their time, but they weren't. It was just, I felt like you saw those kind of graphics on the Xbox or something. Like it was just, they were better than what the PlayStation had and they ran what felt better. Like the Dreamcast to me felt like an arcade box. Like you got all your arcade games on there. Cause obviously, obviously it's mm-hmm. Sega and the Dreamcast had amazing games on it. You know, I mean the Saturn had some, but the Dreamcast was like, you know, you had your power stone, you had like a little bit of everything. 
and the internet on it. Oh my God. Like playing fantasy star online was just the coolest mm -hmm. thing to me. So you were and one of the ones lucky enough to have broadband internet at the time. Okay. Yes. And then it went away, <laughs> but it, the dreamcast was really cool. And I mean, I know a lot of people out there like fanboys about it and I do love it. I'm just not like, Oh, the dreamcast was like the best. I think that it, pave the way to kind of what we have now with non playstations so i'm thinking like you know you look at the dreamcast and you can see the inspiration of it in the gamecube and the xbox i mean the xbox basically took the controller yeah. and i felt like the graphics of the gamecube reminded me a lot of the dreamcast yeah, i agree the Dreamcast was a very interesting system, and I didn't realize how powerful it actually was until I started doing some research on it. Um, I don't know the exact numbers, but during this time, so previous consoles were running, you know, the, the polygon count between the previous consoles and this one was just an astronomical difference. Uh, for those of you who don't know, for polygon count, it's basically how 3D graphics look better, right? The more polygons you have available mm -hmm. to you, the smoother something looks because everything that you're looking at when it comes to 3D is made out of little tiny polygons. So the, theoretically, the more polygons you have, the more smoother something is. Um, it's The Dreamcast was actually one of the first times that we saw fingers, right? Like that's kind of a weird thing. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just block hands and all that stuff. So I don't know the exact numbers, but it was something around the, the frame of like the Saturn was able to do like, I forgot, it was like 100 or 200 uh, polygons per unit or something like that. And then it was so the one of the things was 200,000 textured polygons per mm -hmm. second. And then, you know, you look at the PlayStation it was 180,000 and then. Yeah. And the, the something I, I read somewhere that like this was hitting like closer to like a million polygons counts. Like this, this system is in insane. So like think about that jump. You have the PlayStation for five years now at this point. And now all of a sudden you basically get something that's like 10 times stronger than the PlayStation. That's pretty amazing that they were able to accomplish this. So why did this system fail? What went wrong here? And it is the classic Sega curse. I feel like they overstepped their boundaries. They reached a little too far. They had bad communication within the company. Um, and they just didn't have a primary focus on what they wanted of the system. And then they, they spent more time worrying about other systems and what they're doing and trying to react to them on the fly instead of developing theirs to what it should be, right? So you, mm -hmm. we mentioned broadband internet, right? You played Fantasy Star Online, and you enjoyed it, which is great. And that was one of the big staple items for the Dreamcast, was the ability to play on, over broadband internet for these games. And Sega actually had a stipulation with a lot of the developers of their games, I think it was most of them, where they were required to add some sort of broadband feature in their games in order to be released on the Dreamcast. That was one of the stipulations. So, of course, that's going to kind of shy some people away, some smaller developers who aren't familiar with developing for over broadband internet. So, of course, that's going to 
kind of lose some people. Now, the other issue with this is that at this time, broadband internet was not vastly available to people. Uh, there were so many areas in which internet wasn't really a thing just yet. And it is kind of unfortunate. Here's another one of those before it's time things. But uh, I believe it's just two years after the initial release of the Dreamcast. Uh, broadband internet did become widely available for the masses and it became, you know, more uh, user friendly in that way. So it's kind of like uh, a little, just a little couple years missed the mark, right? So another thing that was going on with the uh, game consoles of this time, they were trying to develop entertainment systems, right? Entertainment centers. So they wanted a catch all for everything. Right, You listen to your music, you play your movies, you play your games, everything all in one for a very convenient price. Because a lot of times these things were cheaper than DVD players, which then they were cheaper than Blu-ray players later on. Right, like It's it's a known thing mm -hmm. that you can just buy. I remember I almost bought a Blu-ray player and I was like, why is this $600? And then I went and just bought an Xbox for like three. I was like, oh, cool. And I could play games. Rad. Like, right? Like. For some reason, these consoles are able to provide that software or that hardware to people and those levels. Now, the Dreamcast did not follow that formula. They did not include a DVD player in their system. So it was just a gaming system with connection and, and music. music. Right? Yeah, that's right. So it had gaming music and connection to the Internet, which is huge. But at that time, a lot of people wanted the DVD player attachment because of Sony. Sony is releasing their PlayStation 2 just one year after the Dreamcast is coming out, and it does have the DVD player. It has all that stuff that included that people were kind of starting to expect, right? Now, mm -hmm. the last, and I think the biggest nail in the coffin, in my opinion, it's always down to the games, right? And the Dreamcast at this time, Sega had a lot of disputes with a lot of different companies, they were not working well with other people, um, largely due to miscommunication and things like that. So one of the companies that they ended up losing was EA Games, which at that time and still today, one of the biggest sports games developers ever. And if you can imagine, like every console basically had an EA Games on there, some sort of man, right? Like one of those games. And Dreamcast did not. The EA said that they will not be working with Sega at this time. They did have 2K games, which are still fun. Like NBA 2K is really good, but it wasn't EA, which was the like juggernaut at the time. Uh, and EA was such a big partner with them on the Genesis. I mean, you look at the Genesis library and I mean, every sports game was EA. But I mean, outside of sports, like they were really, really yeah. big Yeah, with them. So that's so a in big just loss. Two consoles, they lost EA, which is kind of crazy to think about. Like I said, Genesis, they were big with them. They were chummy. Saturn came around. A lot of issues were coming up. And then Dreamcast, it's like, okay, we're done. We can't work with you guys anymore. Now, the next company that I think is the biggest hit for Sega and really put a damper on their potential sales was Squaresoft decided to work with Sony exclusively and not work with Sega anymore. So they pulled their RPGs and... Not to say that Dreamcast doesn't have good RPGs, but Squaresoft is just a memorable company. If you slap the Squaresoft title on a game, it's going to sell, right? Like that title card sells. It moves units. So for them to lose that is kind of, it's a big hit for them. 
And the final uh, company that decided to not work with uh, Sega at this time was Rockstar North. So thank you, GTAs and things like that. Like those Rockstar games were not going to be coming to the Sega anymore. So it's kind of, it's hard. That's a, those are some big losses for the Sega Dreamcast, which is unfortunate because the system should have worked very well. It was very strong. It was very powerful. It had everything going right for it. But all of the drama and all of the crap that was going on behind the scenes led to the overall failure of not just the consoles, not just the Saturn, not just the Dreamcast, but the company as a whole. So after the Dreamcast failed horribly, um, which is unfortunate, right? Because it, it does have a lot of potential in there. Sega decided that they will no longer be making consoles. They're taking themselves out of the console game, which I think was a really smart move on their part um, because they were allowed to then branch out and just focus on their games. They, that's where they, they seem more like idea guys, right? Like they, they had a lot mm-hmm. of really cool ideas that they wanted to implement. They want to try out, you know, play around in R&D for a while, see if it works. If it doesn't, oh, well, if it does, rad, right? Like, but when it comes to consoles, no matter what, you're already going to be losing money initially. So you can't really like play around in that field as much without having something solid to back it up. So it is unfortunate to see that the, these last two consoles, like the end of the 90s, was really the demise of Sega as a whole. I mean, it was a long time coming you know, regretfully, like, they just never were able to capture those third parties. And I mean, I feel like when you look at the libraries of the different, especially that generation of like the Saturn, the N64 and stuff, I mean, Nintendo, the only way the N64 really survived as long as it did was because of its first party games. You look at the Saturn, and I mean, yeah, the exclusion of Sonic, but aside from that, like, okay, what did the Saturn have? Knights? Like, Knights was cool because it brought about that analog controller, which was, like, really different. But at the same time, they're just, they relate to everything. You know, they're, the Saturn's most well-known RPG, Panzer Dragoon Saga, came out at the end of its life. And got overshadowed by Final yeah. Fantasy VII. And it it had so many ideas. And you look at Saturn Bomberman, which you could have 10 people playing together. That's crazy. Which is on the really same screen. Yeah. It's, but at the same time, it's like, okay, like that's great for like conventions and parties. Who but has 10 friends? I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. It, oh, well, yeah, that too. And it's just like, I don't know, like the Saturn was so interesting and i feel like you know growing up i remember seeing the games like an eb and stuff like that but then randomly you know later on in life i totally forgot the saturn existed until maybe like a few years ago and i was like wait a minute like there was something in between the genesis and dreamcast like how did i forget about this and it's sad because like i was saying there's some cool games for the Saturn. And especially if you look at the Japanese games, like there's a lot of good stuff for it out there, especially if you like shooters, it's yeah. amazing. But 
out here in the West, it just, it didn't do good. Like, I mean, the same thing kind of happened with the turbo graphics. It was big in Japan, but here it's just, you know, it, it didn't work out. Yeah. It got overshadowed. And I do feel like, I remember when the Xbox came out and I saw the controller and I saw like the style of like ads and the games. I was like, dude, this is the yeah. Dreamcast too. You know, it's, it's what the Dreamcast could have been if it stayed around. And I still feel like to this day, I look at the Xbox as kind of like a Dreamcast, you know, but I don't know. I mean, I'm glad Sega's still around because they've been doing really well with their games. Yeah, they were able to bounce back somewhat. It's It's not to the same glory that they're at, but it is nice to still see them developing and being part of the gaming history as a whole. Yeah, and it's cool that they can work along their rivals, you know. it's That's the funniest part. But... <laughs> yeah. So, real quick, because we are running a little long on time here, but so this whole miniseries that we're doing on the failures of gaming, um, the dark ages of games, all that, what's your overall take of it? What what surprised you, or how, how do you feel about these quote-unquote failures in gaming? They were just before their time. No. Uh, End episode. Roll credits. (laughs) Doing research on these, it's interesting because it made me find even more failed consoles. Like consoles I had never even heard of. And these, yeah, they failed. But at least we know them to this day. You know, we we knew they existed. Yeah. Yeah, and I feel like there's a difference. You know, it's when you're a console that just came out and then no one liked it, you know, like the CDI or the R-Zone or all that kind of dumb crap. These games do have a lasting legacy or these consoles. And I feel like even though they weren't masterpieces or they weren't big, they still leave a lasting impression on people that have touched them. And I think that's what's important. You know, it's it's sad that they didn't get their big light to shine, but I feel like companies can look back at that and be like, okay, let's let's do something different. And thanks to that, you know, the gaming industry is different now. It's it they can experiment but not go too crazy and fail a company like it's i don't know i'm it's a bummer that those things didn't work out but i feel like it needed to happen yeah i don't think i could have said that any better that was perfect well done all right well that's gonna do it for us this week thank you guys so so much for listening um once again big sorry for my voice and if i cracked and all that fun stuff but hope you guys enjoyed hope you learned something um yeah, make sure to pass this on to a friend. Um, let someone know if you're enjoying it. Please, please, please. And one last thing, uh, what really, really helps us out, if you could please leave us a rating, a five-star rating or review in your podcast catcher of choice. Uh, that really helps us out tremendously. Um, and don't do, just do that for our show. Make sure to do that for any show that you're enjoying out there. Spread the love, everyone. Uh, we really need it, especially after that year that we had that will not be spoken 
is the new Voldemort of our time. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, thank you guys so much. I hope you enjoyed our little dive into the dark ages of video games. And we'll catch you next week. All right. Bye. Bye.